What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short, anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. Hard to Tell podcast, episode 154, Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here. Brian, how you doing, man? Doing all right. We'll get more into that next week. All right, it's good. <laughs> we like that. All right, it's good. Smiling, it's good. We'll get into that next week. I know it. I know it's yeah. about. We'll get into that next yeah. week. Yeah. Other good. than that, though, other than that, uh, doing all right. We're going to get into more of this episode. But this this is going to be a pretty fun one all the way around. Yeah, gonna... November of 2012, 2020, I mean, 2020, has not been a great year in totality. But November, not so bad. So November's bad. been off to an interesting start um, with things happening in this country, things happening in the world of sports. We'll get to things happening in this country a little bit later. But in the world of sports, the NBA, uh, Players Association, and the league uh, came to an agreement uh, that they will start the season on December 22nd. Uh, basketball, it will be right back here uh, like it never left, um, which for the basketball junkies is fine. For the players that play deep into the season, probably not so fine. But that felt like some of the big news at the beginning of the month. But now as we go on, there seems to be even more talk. Trade talk is coming up. We know the draft will be November 18th. More on that next week from this show. Uh, then we'll be free agency. will start November 20th. So people... This is right around the corner. We're talking about the draft a week from the day you hear this episode or this drops and free agency just two days after that. So it's right here. Now, a lot of talk when the season ended. Who could go here? Who could go where? First bit of stuff that has dropped thus far has surrounded Chris Paul, who many people have expected uh, to move. And the Suns have had discussions about acquiring all-star point guard Chris Paul from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, there's a lot that has been talked about, who could go where. Talks have been ongoing, continue to gather traction, but there's no deal imminent. This is what sources have told uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Brian Windhorst, and Tim Bonteps of ESPN. Uh, so, you know, right now, just to be fair, there is a moratorium on trades. The NBA goes to the procedure, start the season, uh, start the next season ahead of the draft, and then once that's lifted on the 20th, start a free agency, um, you'll be able to see some of some of that going on. Chris Paul to the Suns. Uh, what do you think about that, Brian? I find it interesting. Uh, definitely helps the Suns if he goes there. But, uh, yeah, how do you feel about that one? So the logical move, I guess, would be, and we talked about this last night uh, just over the phone, I think the logical move would be Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, and some draft compensation, a first, another first, or a first in a couple seconds, whatever the case may be, or just the first for Chris Paul, and maybe you get back a first or something along those lines, because I feel like Chris Paul should be paired with a draft pick, so you'd be swapping picks there. Uh, Oklahoma City has a lot of picks to begin with, mm-hmm. uh, but like I, I could see, I could see this for both sides. Like if I sort of play this out a little more in my head, this is what Devin Booker sort of needs. Uh, I feel like we haven't really heard the trade rumors that much as it relates to Devin Booker, but I think that that's kind of inevitable given that, kind of inevitable if they don't play well. Now, 
I'm sure that five years in the league, this will be a sixth season already. He wants to get into the playoffs. He's on the Supermax contract. He wants to be uh, on a successful team. He wants to win games, ultimately. They went 8-0 in the bubble last year. I don't know if that's the real Phoenix Suns because that was just a small sample size. But if Chris Paul is there instead of Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, no disrespect, assuming that that's a hypothetical. But if Chris Paul is there, then that becomes really interesting because you're talking about Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton is sort of the big man there who we saw, you know, after he had an up and down rookie season and people were doubting his long term fit. And people were saying that maybe Aaron Baines should start over him after he had a strong start to the season. DeAndre Ayton comes back from the suspension and he looked good. He looked like he could fit into this team in the modern NBA, so to speak. So I I would be highly intrigued. I would probably pencil them in as one of the eight playoff teams in the West if they get Chris Paul. Some people would do it without. But I tell you what, it'd be a lot of fun to watch. It would kind of suck for for Oklahoma City after that one great season, regular season. But it seems like they're going to go in that direction because they just hired one of their assistants to be the head coach. And it looks like they're going to probably build around Shea Gilgis-Alexander and whatever else they could bring along. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to rebuild direction in OKC, which is the right move. Chris Paul's value is probably never going to be higher than it is right now. Makes sense to trade him. But as a CP3 fan... I kind of like, yo, this is nice for him in Phoenix, but it doesn't put him any closer to a championship. I'd like to see him on a team that contends for a championship. So it's weird. It's not. I, I don't feel great about it, and I'm not sure mm. his situation improves that much personally in terms of where he was in OKC. So that kind of disappoints me now. Do I think it's a good fit in Phoenix? Oh, yeah, I absolutely do. I think he definitely helps Devin Booker. He doesn't have to dominate the ball as much. He should help DeAndre Ayton get in better looks as he looks to stretch his game out more. So that that's really good. Now, the Suns are losing a good a good player in Kelly Oubre Jr., who's that nice kind of role player. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, right, yeah. if, if they do this. Um, there's obviously a lot of stuff in, in, the, in the way this can go and if, if it goes. You know, I think the thing around this, with this leaking and getting out there, that there have been talks, you got to wonder how Milwaukee's feeling about it. There's somebody who's probably wanted Chris Paul. There's been some talks in Philadelphia also trying to get in on Chris Paul. So does this put the pressure on those teams and those front offices to maybe try to make a move? That's going to be interesting. Now, a uh, front office that's got a little bit of a interesting it's a quagmire, if you want to say, in what's going on is the Houston Rockets. Reports came out that James Harden and Russell Westbrook both were not pleased with the direction of the Houston Rockets, to which I think a question should have been asked. What direction did y'all think y'all were going in? Because I think we all knew that this is a sinking ship. And, and that's no disrespect to anybody on there. This is the aging team with two with two stars, superstars, if you want to say, one whose shot has declined in Russell Westbrook over the last couple of years. And, and people yeah. know I'm somebody who's liked Russell Westbrook. I, I think he plays hard. There are obviously holes in his game. He's not a perfect player. But, you know, now they're not sure about the Rockets. And look. I think the Rockets made a nice hire with Steven Silas. I like that hire for them. Um, they kept some continuity with their front office. Um, I think that's good. But a lot of the rumors you've heard around there is that Tillman Fertitta, the owner, is cheap. He hasn't been willing to pay the luxury tax. <laughs> Bro, Bro that might be a better thing <laughs> because it's for people don't know. Tillman Fertitta, very heavily involved in the restaurant industry, obviously during this, during this era of the Rona. Restaurants ain't doing that great right now. Yeah. And, and, he got you know, money, though. He just, you know, he don't yeah, got NBA. Yeah, but he don't got the money in coming to keep certain things afloat, and that's when things can become a problem. Now, yeah. 
I think a lot of us that cover, watch the NBA, cover the NBA, will say, look, the Rockets are on the downside in where they could have been. They probably peaked a couple of years ago. They're probably not going to be any better than that. Is this team any better than fifth in the Western Conference coming up this year? I would say no. Okay? So how much are you really going to get out of these stars? We spoke with our boy Gerard Hector about this, and we said, hey, maybe you'd even entertain the possibility of trading Harden. I think the Rockets should. It's the best value they're going to get from right now. Now, that was the first report that came out uh, about James Russell, James Harden, excuse me, Russell Westbrook, concerned about the direction of the Rockets, right? Not sure where things mm -hmm. is going to go. Then Sham Sharani of The Athletic said that sources have told him that Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. And I mean, like, that's cool. But Russell Westbrook's owed a lot of money over the next three years. And his shot is declining. And Brian, Brian Fonseca here on this podcast, so brilliantly tweeted what I was thinking. I just had to look <laughs> at my phone and Brian tweeted exactly, exactly <laughs> what I was thinking in this moment. I didn't need to tweet it. I didn't need to say anything. Brian, please tell the people what you what you tweeted. The Knicks better not even think about That's it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Don't think about it. Why would you want to do this? That Why? would be very... Now, he's better than Steve Francis was when they got Steve Francis, but it would be the same move. You know what I mean? Like, it would be the same sort of just reaching for a thing. It'd be typical. It kind of doesn't matter who's in the front office. It would just be very Knicks for them to do this move. I don't think they will because I actually think that they're in the early stages of what seems to be a legitimate plan with Leon Rose, Worldwide West, uh, Tom Thibodeau, uh, and, you know, hopefully not so much meddling from James Dolan. He has promised time and again not to, so we'll see how that unfolds. Uh, if you ever want chest pains, ain't hard to tell podcast listeners, you could go look up these contracts. Oh, boy. Russell Westbrook. I forgot, like, there's a player option. We'll get to that in a second. This year, he's going to make $41 million. Next season, he's going to make close to $44 million. And the year after that, he's going to have a player option for almost $47 million. Russell Westbrook, who is 31 years old, who, as Dexter alluded to, his jumper is getting worse and worse for each passing year. By the way, James Harden, roughly the same contract, 41 this year, 44 next year, and about 47 the year after. Player option as well for that third season. Something tells me that at that point, uh, Russell Westbrook especially, especially will be inclined to accept that option. Now, uh, it makes no sense for the Knicks, so we'll just say that and move on. Uh, as far as like what this actually signals, I think like we kind of knew Houston would go in this direction. I don't I have a tougher time seeing Russell Westbrook get moved just because who wants that contract? And James Harden, I don't like not to say that he's not a valuable player at this point. I just I wonder what that value actually is, right? Like I, I wonder how teams, how other teams are actually valuing this. We've already heard with Philly and that tie-in with Daryl Morey there. I feel like that's the logical team. Uh, he's allegedly reached out to people or people from his camp have reached out to people. I think this was another Shams report to uh, people on the Nets, Heat, and the Sixers to sort of gauge that. Those are three teams. I mean, Jimmy Butler and James Harden have a good relationship, which is a little surprising maybe given their play styles. Uh, but I do think that could work. I just don't think Miami should do it. For the Nets, I don't think that third piece makes a lot of sense in terms of what they would have to give up. And then it's like, you're so wait, Kyrie, Harden, and Durant, and who are you going to guard defensively, right? And then with Philly is probably the place that I think makes the most sense if 
if the player you're giving up is Ben Simmons along with whatever else. But I don't know. I, I like I have a tough time. I have a tough time seeing either one get traded, to be honest with you, just because I don't know how the math is going to sort of work. I have a hard time seeing either one get traded this year. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Sham Sharani has said Houston James Harden remains committed to the Rockets and is, quote, locked in for the season. Well, I mean, we've seen a lot of people locked in and then it gets closer to the trade deadline and things aren't going the way they want. And then they are trying to get out. We have well, definitely seen this. Yeah, yeah, we've seen this plenty of times. So, okay, fine. That means nothing to me at this point. I just think it's going to be easier probably. I think they're going to try to run it one more year. Uh, how disgruntled Westbrook is, saying he wants out is interesting. Is he disgruntled? Uh, he doesn't have much leverage. His contract is what it is. It's hard to move. It's definitely easier to move Harden. I'm, not, I'm with you. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think it'll happen until James Harden comes and says, yo, I'm, I want to be moved. If James uh, Harden goes to them and is like, look, I want out, and he, you see this tweet that, that uh, Westbrook is, has out there from Shams and other people, then I think he'll get moved. But I don't think they're going to move him until James Harden says that he wants to be moved. And look, I think James Harden's value could be pretty high. A lot of people still want him, um, despite his disappearing acts sometimes in the playoff. He still can score. He's still elite. He'll put people in the seats when people can get in the seats, whenever that is. And (laughs) there's definitely value to him, whereas Westbrook also can still put people in the seats. And I still think Westbrook can play exciting basketball. The thing Mm -hmm. we don't know is, is it winning basketball and does it really help Mm -hmm. your team? Now, if you get a lot of shooters around Westbrook, whatever team that is, I'm sure it could work. But I don't know what that team is. It's going to have to be some team that's, for Westbrook, it's going to be a team that's really desperate for a start, a la Sacramento a la Orlando, something like that. You could put the Knicks in that, but we're just hoping they're not that stupid. Charlotte. That's the team I just thought of. Charlotte because... because Westbrook's Jordan uh, brand? Yes. I knew you were going there. <laughs> West, so West- Westbrook's Jordan brand, and I just feel like, yo, so a while back we talked about this. I was like, yo, this isn't going to happen. But why don't Charlotte, or why doesn't Charlotte try to kick the tires on Ben Simmons? I said that before, right? And then I came up with the trade. I forget who it was exactly, but I remember I had Terry Rozier, PJ Washington, and probably Malik Monk and whatever draft pick going to uh, Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. And because Charlotte, I feel like they, like they have these bad contracts where it's like, you can try to get a star I mean, you could kind of make the math work with just Terry Rozier and Nicholas Batum alone, and you might have to throw in the first-round pick, I guess, for Russell Westbrook. But should you really, given the contract situation? I don't think so. But Terry Rozier has that $19 million salary for this year. Nicholas Batum has a player option for $27 million, which, He's I mean— He's picking up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right there, you're at $46 million. Um, that's already five million more than Russell Westbrook. I'm not sure. Like, well, it's the off season, so that probably matches up anyway because it's a different game when you're doing this in the off season as opposed to when you're doing it before the trade deadline. So it's like, look, if I'm Charlotte, and if like Michael Jordan, I'm sure he wants a star. Michael Jordan is the kind of guy that would really like Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? Like, he probably loves him. Yeah, I mean, unless this is the one of the best ways to get one, right? Unless they draft one. So I think for there are teams this could make sense for who can't hit this home run in free agency. And it's not, I'm not trying to, you know, shit on Russell Westbrook here. I'm saying that he won't be extremely productive. I just think you need to have very specific pieces around him if you're going to get it done. And maybe the other thing we've seen, right, in the contract, it is what it is. 
but you need a team that needs to fill the seats and get somebody in there. Like I said, Orlando, Charlotte, Sacramento. These are the kind of teams that I can see take them. And if they do it, I wouldn't necessarily kill those teams because how else are they getting somebody even still of that caliber, even with Russell Westbrook on a decline? So for those teams, it makes sense. But if you're the Knicks and you have some assets and you have some picks and you're trying to rebuild, why are you doing this? It would make more sense if Knicks got Chris Paul, than it, who has more yeah. value, than it would for them to get Russell Westbrook. I can't even talk about it. and It's making my stomach sick. I, I don't even want to think about the fact that I'm telling you, if the Knicks traded for Russell Westbrook, especially after the disaster they did with Chris Tapps Porzingis, you might not see me. You might not see me. You might not hear from me. I, I'm, I think I'd be done. Done. So, so he, and 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 just to put a bow on this, like I, Charlotte, and then the other team I just thought of right now on the spot is the Detroit Pistons. Um, Blake Griffin is making thirty six and a half million this year, uh, and he has a player option for thirty nine million last year. So one fewer year, which means a draft pick, if anything, would probably be going to the Pistons because that that salary is just you know one year shorter. But you're talking about I don't know Blake Griffin and Russell Westbrook mathematically, you're almost there. I mean, you could throw in something else if you really want to, but they don't have much else to offer. Uh, the Pistons do so. Like, look, that, that's, but that's the kind of thing you would be talking about. You know what I mean? And that actually makes sense just from the standpoint of, like, Russell Westbrook and Blake Griffin are past their peaks with, you know, respect to both of them. They're, like, just past it. You don't know how many years left they have in the NBA, but they could still be productive players. But that's the kind of thing you would be talking about. Unfortunately for Russell Westbrook, I don't think a really good team would make this trade. It would probably be a team, like you mentioned before, would just have to be fishing for a star because how else are they going to get one? I don't think Sacramento would be on that list because they have the Aaron Fox and they have to decide very soon whether they're going to extend them before next season or not. Right. I don't remember the deadline date or whatever that is. But look. The Aaron Fox has been in a couple, like, I've seen things where it's like, yo, could Miami get him? Him and Bam at a bio played in college together. They're cool. Like, is that something? Like, are they going to are they gonna really just give up on him already and, and try to, like, rebuild again? But Sacramento never seems to really know what they're doing. They don't have a clear plan. We know that Atlanta wants to make the playoffs, so I don't think Russell Westbrook is going to make sense there. I think they're going to try to go a different route. We're seeing them in Drew Holiday rumors now, which is interesting. Um, so I don't know. And then... Uh, I guess to, to to just wrap all this up, one more thing about the Chris Paul thing that I just remembered since we just brought him back up. Kawhi Leonard reportedly, through multiple people, uh, have been asking has been asking about a point guard, and this has been something that we've been hearing just being floated out there for a while. Then another report came out today. I don't remember if it was from Shams or Windhorse or one of these dudes. It honestly doesn't matter. Uh, that he's tried to maybe see if the Clippers could facilitate a Chris Paul return and being there with Kawhi, Paul George, et cetera, et cetera. That I think would be very interesting, uh, especially now that Doc Rivers is not there. Uh, what do you think about that? And I'm going to look up, I'm going to pull up some numbers to see mathematically how this would work out. I think it'd be hilarious coming back. I mean, he's <laughs> arguably the greatest Clipper of all time. Um, it would help them a ton. It would really help yeah, them. Yeah, even Blake, right? Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would help them a ton. He's part of the best era they've ever had. It would absolutely help them a ton. I don't see what the Clippers have to give up there, though. That's what's really interesting because their their cupboard is bare. So it's, it, it's, it's, you're talking about yeah, I don't Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Zubac. Roddy Magruder, like it, basically, it, it, basically, the, the, basically, yeah, it, it's 
it's not much, I, and they don't really have a lot of picks. Left if you're the Clippers. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see it happening. I think that's a long shot. I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, you're gonna hit the LA teams because the LA teams, but I don't see it happening. You know what I mean? But you know, this this is tis the uh, tis the season of uh, you know imaginary players and imaginary trades that that we're gonna see. This this is the season. You know, through the off season and even as we get to now uh, trade season, it's gonna be a lot of you know. Stuff floating out with draft season, everything. A lot, a lot of imaginary players, a lot of imaginary names, man. Like this, this, this is what it is. Somebody wants to go here, they're disgruntled here, they want to sign here. Who knows? We'll see. We, yeah. we, it's not, not, not much, not much we can say, but we'll see. But NBA will be back really soon. The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. as Brian said, has been pretty good. Got off to a good start for some people in this country, except for you almost 70 million people that voted to keep uh, the guy in the White House that was there. That says a lot to me. A lot. Yeah. 70 yeah. million of you guys looked at this person and said, hmm, this guy is good and competent enough to run this country for another four years. What is wrong with y'all? Why would you want this? <laughs> Like I'm sorry, like people can be on different sides. I mean, sides we of know, things. we we know why. We know, we why. know why, but we got to yeah. call it out. People can be on different sides of things. You can have different political views. There's people who have Republican views, and are fine. But this is where I've always drawn the line: supporting that dude and the things that he has said and done, and been so divisive, and things that he said that are totally not true. The lies he's made, the the xenophobia, the the sexism, the racism that he has spread throughout uh his time in the in the White House. Um and the fact that people still voting for him says a lot about this country. We'll get to that in a second. But we got him up out of here. We got him up out of here. Thank you to the people who did some of this great work to get him up out of here. Yeah. Thank you, black women, for doing such a great job in states like Georgia to get him the hell up out of here. Yeah. Thank you. To all those people. So the people, a lot of people came out and voted. I know Brian did his early voting. I took it very seriously. I was up election day early in the morning and went and voted. Uh, And so, you know, we all did our duty. And look, there was a whole, it was very dramatic. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. had days of this drawn out before it was finally, he was finally projected the winner on Saturday. And look, we know what we saw out there. If you, certain people, my neighborhood, somebody yelled out the window, we did it. Yeah, we got him out of here. I heard people yeah. honking. I heard people doing stuff. It was really, in some cities around the country, it was really interesting how people reacted to this and why people were so happy. And I went out that Saturday. And I went mm. in, in Brooklyn. I went to Brooklyn Bridge Park and I was out. And I swore, I told you this, Brian, there was more people out at that park than I had seen in parts of this summer. And I was there in late August and I didn't see this many people out uh, on a specific day. And it was just a lot of people out socially distancing and being responsible. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say that there were some places where we didn't see that, but people were being responsible. 
socially distancing, but people were out smiling, happy, just just showing a lot of joy because it means a lot to a lot of people that this guy got up out of here. Now, I want my my attitude towards this. Am I happy? People ask me, yeah, but I'm curbing my enthusiasm on this. I still understand there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to done. There's a lot of things that affect the people of color in this country. And our government hasn't totally changed just because we got this guy out of here. Um, there's still a lot of work that what, no matter what you felt about the Biden-Harris ticket, that they still have to get done. And it's up to us as people to hold them accountable, hold our, all our elected officials accountable, especially at the local level. So that's kind of the vibe I'm on. It was a good day. Understand why it was a great day for everybody. Understand how it got this month off to a, a, a great start, that we got this guy out of here. And, you know, good riddance. That's pretty much all I got to say. Goodbye, 45. Yeah. yeah. And look, it's important to note that some, and this is a point that I made, I think, on or whenever, whenever it became official around that time. Like the places that really got this done, Atlanta, which is a city, uh, a lot of black and Latino folks down there, uh, Nevada, but in particular, Los Angeles, I mean, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Reno, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Detroit, oh, let, Michigan. Let, 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 let's give it, let's give a shout out. Was it the Navajo tribe out in Nevada? Mm-hmm. 97%. Uh, our indigenous uh, brothers and sisters out there, they got it done. They showed up. Some of them traveling on, this is true. It's like traveling on horseback to get to polls and getting yeah. it done out there. So shout out to, shout out to the, our indigenous brothers and sisters uh, who could actually have every reason to be like, F this country. Yeah. Look what y'all did to us, stealing our land, committing mass genocide. They don't have a reason to show up, but they did show up. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Detroit, Michigan, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, I always say, is kind of like a mini New York City. Like, it's a lot of Black and Latino folks there, and they don't stand for this shit. You know what I mean? And they turn Pennsylvania blue. I think they're still counting votes, which is interesting in itself. But, you know, Biden's lead keeps widening. And I want to, like, this is from uh, Julio Ricardo Valera, who was a co-host of In the Thick. Uh, who's been really on top of this, especially as it relates to the Latino vote, uh, which is not a monolith, but that's another discussion for another day. Uh, U.S. counties with the largest Hispanic population 2019, Biden won all of these counties. And this is like Mm. Los Angeles County in California, Harris County in Texas, which almost went blue, which I think is possible that could be blue four years from now. But, you know, we have to go through this sort of period of time first. Miami-Dade County in Florida now. You know, people talk about the white Cubans and, oh, how are Latinos voting for Trump, this, this, and that. And look, Miami Cubans, you have to think of Latinos in a sort of a, I guess, regional sense. Like, from New York City, we're wired differently than Miami's, uh, than Miami Cubans who are wired differently from, let's say, um, Chicanos in, Mex- in, uh, in Chicago, Illinois. You know what I'm saying? And then Mexicans in Texas, out in Arizona. Like, it's, 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 it's a little bit different. You know what I mean? Like getting the Latino vote necessarily, you're not going to appeal to Puerto Ricans and Cubans the same way, generally speaking. Understood. Um, let me see. Maricopa, which we just talked about in Arizona, uh, Cook County, Illinois, Riverside County, Bexar County. This is in Illinois, uh, California, Texas, and then other places in California like San Bernardino, San Diego County, Orange County, and Dallas County in Texas. So you're looking at those Texas numbers. And Texas was close at one point. Trump ended up winning. But look. There's going to be a lot of more Mexican folks who are tired of this shit who are going to be there and are going to be more active and energized and ready to vote. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that I take away from this is that I'm thinking about all of the young people, the progressives, like they're winning elections. 
There's more than one AOC. There are a bunch of them. And you're starting to see them sort of take this step into the forefront. Uh, Democratic Socialists of America won 28 of 37 national races. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this, this is a lot. This is a big margin. They won eight of nine major ballot initiatives. Um, so they're, they're winning all these caucuses. I think they won one in, in Montana. I think that's what I heard from Julio Ricardo Valera, or maybe it was his co-host, his co-host Mar- uh, Maria. Um, but yeah, they're doing a lot of great stuff. And this is something that we have to keep our eye on. But as you said, like, I felt, I felt great fighting out the win. I genuinely think he's a good dude. So I will say that much or seems to be, um, look, a lot of people were like laughing about the jog when he was, uh, getting not an inauguration, but when he was having the press conference or whatever, I'm like, look, if I make it to 78 years old, I want to be able to jog like that. He looked like he was in shape. And that was something that jumped out at me. I was like, yo, this Trump can't do that shit. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot. There's a lot he couldn't do. Right. And it's like with me, it's just like I think that, you know, we we obviously have to I think that we shouldn't as progressives, we shouldn't have to just try to find a middle ground with dickheads being people on the right who are so far on the right where it's like they don't want Medicare for all. They don't want people to have equal rights. They don't want people to be able to marry their gay uh, um, significant others and things of that nature where it's like, why would you want to find a middle ground with some of these people? I think we need to focus more on the progressives and actually like getting the things that we want to get done in our own communities as opposed to trying to kowtow to people who historically don't really come to our side as it is. Well, yeah, I think this uh, one to wrap this, I'll say this election show a lot when you look at the numbers i said when it's almost 70 million people that voted for trump this election to me showed to me very simply either you care just about yourself uh and your pockets or you care about people and if you care about yourself you voted one way if you care about people you clearly voted another way and to blind support to people that don't care about people you know sometimes there's no helping people like that if you don't care about people the problem's with you if it's all about yourself and what you can keep and what you can do, and there's a lot of my, 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 and I, 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 and a lot of the individualism that has permeated this country for years, that has allowed them to exploit people, uh, systemically oppress people for years because of that individualism and individualistic nature, this is not where I think a lot of the people that are younger want to go in the future. It's a new day. People know that this country is getting less and less white by the day, and yep. that scares the hell out of them. And we are just all blending together. And if that scares you, you're the problem. Um, if you say, if you want to look the other way and say, oh, well, I'm not racist because I voted for this dude. You know what? I can agree with people and 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 have uh, disagree with people and have that are from a different political background. But what I can't agree with people on is if you support somebody that spews the kind of language because that person showed to me while they were in office still is a couple more months that they didn't care about me so if you support that dude and you say you want to be friends yo you ain't my friend because if you were my friend you wouldn't let somebody talk about me or people that look like me in that way and think that i would be okay with that not okay with that so the the people out there who vote for trump and want to have their cake and eat it too and say they could be friends or family because this happens to some people families i know somebody uh, somebody who's white, who their parents voted, uh, or and significant others vote for Trump, and they now stop talking to them. And yeah. I don't blame them for that because it's it's tough for those people. And you can't show that you don't care about people and expect have my cake and eat it too, your cake and eat it too, and expect me to be like, okay, yeah, we're cool. Nah, man. Some point times you got to draw a line in the sand, and this is one of those things. And we see how the numbers going, and all we can do is hope 
that things are better in this country as we move forward, but we got a lot of work to do till the war is won. won. We got a lot of work to do till the yep. war is won. We are, we are still fighting. We are still fighting for opportunity. We're still fighting for uh, justice in many cases. Uh, you look at something that just happened around LSU football with a player being arrested yeah. and, and searched by cops. And the only reason he probably got off is because he said he was an LSU football player. He's a black, a black player, I should also know that. These things are still going on. This hasn't gone away. So like yeah. I said, we still got a lot of work to do. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mind this week. Uh, we got some interesting stuff. I know Brian's got some interesting stuff um, to talk about. I got something. We usually don't touch on sports, but there is going to be sports in this one time for your mind. And I have to say something because I'm very excited about something that's happened with one of my teams, which if you know me, never happens. Like there's nothing really for me to ever be excited about ex- <laughs> except for Liverpool Football Club. You know, that that's about it. Champions League winners and English Premier League winners back-to-back seasons. But outside of that, there's nothing for me to be excited about. You talked about the Knicks earlier, so y'all know the misery. Uh, Brian, what, what do you got this week on one time for your mind? Terrence Crawford versus Kell Brook, uh, which is not getting as much attention as I may have expected. But mm-hmm. even for me, this kind of like this is a fight that got announced, I think, the same day we saw Teofimo Lopez upset Vasily Lomachenko in what was a really good fight. Um, Terrence Crawford is going to face Kell Brook. And this is something that, again, is going to be on ESPN. ESPN not deciding to go the pay-per-view route like they do with the UFC bouts or whatever the case may be, which I think is a win for boxing, especially when your competitors, the zone is hiding shit on an app and Showtime, you know, it's premium cable, although Showtime, you know, it's, it's sort of a different, sort of a different game when it comes to that. Um, the zone who also hard. just lost Canelo Alvarez, we, we might ask. Woo boy. Sorry. Um, just, go, I just thought that, that should be mentioned. That note should be mentioned that they lost one of their big well, draws. We, and we're, we're going to get to that yes. at a later time. We might have to bring Ryan back or Xavier back or somebody else in to really yeah, get that, into that. that that's, yeah, we're we got to talk about that. Canelo Alvarez, I'm going to table that because we still have to see what he's going to do because apparently he's planning on fighting in December. And, you know, it looks like it looks like that's very possible. But Terrence Crawford, look, interesting card overall, but this is the main fight, obviously. Terrence Crawford, 36-0. I'm a little nervous because he is – 33 years old now. And what I mean by that is I don't think he's going to lose to Kell Brook, who I'll get to in a second. But with Terrence Crawford, he's still, like, he hasn't fought the welterweights that we want to see him fight against. Yeah. And we're running out of time because there's one on top rank, which is him, and then you have Errol Spence over here on PBC, Keith Thurman, PBC. Ryan Sangali actually brought brought this up last time he was on the podcast, and it was a great point. It's just very hard to be a welterweight and not be on PBC. Because that's where Danny Garcia is. That's where Keith Thurman is. That's where Errol Spence is. That's where a lot of these guys are. Errol Spence and, and uh, Danny Garcia are also fighting coming up. Terrence Crawford, 36-0, and 0, uh, 27 knockouts. People get on him for his resume or lack thereof. I actually think the resume is not as bad as people say, but I would like it to be better. But this Kell Brook fight, this is a really good fight, uh, on paper at least. Kell Brook, 39-2, 27 knockouts. Uh, unfortunately, both of his losses were by stoppage, and they were not that long ago either. The first loss, and I remember watching this, 
this was, I think, the same day as the U.S. Open final in 2016. It's one of the finals. Whichever one is usually on Saturday, the women or the men. The you women. know that. The women. Okay. So it was on the same day as that. I don't think it was at the same time. but Or it might have been, actually, because London time, it was probably starting around 5 o'clock or whatever. Kell Brook was a welterweight champion for a little while. He beat Sean Porter. He fought Triple G, just moved straight up from welterweight, 147 pounds, all the way to middleweight, 160 pounds. And you're talking about somebody who actually looked good in that fight. I thought he was up on the scorecards, and then Triple G stopped him. His his eye got messed up. And then Mm -hmm. the next year, he came back. Errol Spence knocked him out, and it was the other eye. Errol Spence really brutalized him late in that fight. Kell Brook since then has won three straight fights, but we haven't heard much from him, so... Uh, it's going to be interesting because he's moving back down to welterweight after having a stint at middleweight before uh, and even at super welterweight. So I'm curious to see how he looks. But this is going to be a test for Terrence Crawford, who, you know, his chin will be tested once Kelbrook lands. And Terrence Crawford, he's been hit before, but he's taken a lot of big shots and he's just wore it and even smiled at points. But I think this will be a big, a big, a big opportunity for Terrence Crawford. But then after this, he needs, like, I don't want to hear it. He has to get one of these bigger fights. At his yeah, I, yeah, it's time. It's 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 about time. We've been waiting on to see, can he fight a Keith Thurman, uh, a Danny Garcia? He's got to get one of these bigger fights. It's definitely time. That's kind of been my thing with him. We all know how dope he is as a fighter, but we haven't seen him really tested in any, one of these matchups where we can get excited about. Can we get excited about this the way we were about Lomachenko um, in his last fight? You know what I'm saying? Like against Teofimo Lopez, we were very, we need something like that to really get us excited. Um, but we haven't had that with Terrence Crawford. So we'll see. We'll tune into that ESPN. Look, it's another good one. Brian's telling you it's free. Yeah. Hopefully, I, I'm also really intrigued to just see when we do get stuff like this. I know this isn't Lopez Lomachenko, but can this get people really intrigued into boxing, especially coming off that last ESPN fight? Maybe do you get some people that watch that? casually that might come in and now say hey i want to check that and i think espn is putting on some pretty good fights let me see what's going on i mean look we're, we're, we're boxing guys we'll watch it um but i do think espn has been doing the right move with this stuff in the way they're promoting these fights how that's going to pan out for them i don't know but i think it was worth somebody doing this and putting these fights on a place where they're very accessible for many people to see i think that matters i don't know i can't quantify that but i think it matters to some degree and one final point on the Terrence Crawford thing. Like, I'm looking at the box rec, like how box rec ranks there. And I, I generally like their ranking system generally. Uh, their top 10 welterweights, right? And I'm looking at it. It's like mm. Errol Spence is number one. Terrence Crawford is number two. Manny Pacquiao is number three. And that's who I've wanted Terrence Crawford to fight literally since 2015. And for some reason, they haven't been able to make that work. Uh, and, and I think that's more of a Manny Pacquiao thing because Terrence Crawford has said repeatedly, I want this fight. And Manny Pacquiao. I don't want to see it now, though. It just hasn't happened. I, ho- I would like to see it because he'll, I think he'll beat the shit out of Manny Pacquiao. And I was saying that even in 2015. But Errol Spence is one, according to Box Rec, right? PBC guy. Terrence Crawford, two. Manny Pacquiao, we just talked about. Sean Porter, four. PBC. Mikey Garcia, five. PBC. Your Dennis Yugas, who's Cuban, six. PBC. Danny Garcia, PBC. Jesse Vargas, Kel Brook, Jamal James. Like, the, like he's fighting Kel Brook now, who's ninth. Uh, and Jesse Vargas... You know, like that's not he's eight and that's not somebody who I would be very excited about, although he's a PBC fighter. So it's like after this, who is he really going to fight? If I go a little bit more down, Amir Khan is 13. Terrence Crawford already knocked out Amir Khan. We've already seen that. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, 
Top rank is going to have to do business with PBC on this one. Get Terrence Crawford in there with like a Sean Porter. I would love to see that. Sean Porter, Sean Porter is tough as shit. Any fight that he's lost has been very, very close. close. And that's, that's something you could say a lot about. And somebody. he's got a strong chin, and we've seen him hang in there even when he has taken some blows and still show a lot of heart. That's He's definitely a tough dude. Now, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. All right. Brian's excited about that fight. I'm about to bring Mets fans some excitement. Or I should say Steve Cohen has brought us some excitement that we haven't had in a long time. Look, a lot of the teams I root for, the problem is ownership. It's been ownership. It's been like that for a long time. And a lot of the fans of the teams like me have always said, man, you know what would be great? Man, we just got to get these owners out. You know what Mets fans said for years? You know what would be great? If we could just get the Wilpons out. Now, some good things happened while we're in the Wilpons. But the Mets have only been to the playoffs six times since they last won a World Series in 1986. Only six times they've reached the playoffs, right? They've only been to the World Series twice in that in that time. We're talking, we are approaching 35 years coming up on this since since that has happened, okay? Now, Steve Cohen has bought this team. Uh, There was a snafu early in the year with him getting. He finally got the team. Boy, he's taking over from the Wilpons. Steve Cohen, loaded guy, hedge fund guy from Long Island, grew up, is a Mets fan. And this guy had a press conference the other day, and he said a lot of things I liked. He said what I've been dying for my owner of the New York Mets to say for years. And to sum it up was pretty much, we are not going to operate like a small market team in New York. We are going to operate like a big market team in who we are. And that he wants to set and change the culture and standard of the New York Mets. Okay? He said, if the team doesn't win a World Series in the next three to five years, he will consider it a disappointment. I like that. I like that confidence. I like that he wants to get this done and knows the time frame and how he wants to get it done. I'll be disappointed too if they don't they don't do it. But I like that he's going for it. He says he will not meddle in baseball operations. An owner of a basketball team in New York could probably learn a thing or two from that. <laughs> he will devote resources to winning now and building a farm system simultaneously. He said he'll gladly, gladly, gladly spend a lot of money in pursuit of it. And he says that he does not want to be mediocre. Anybody who knows me knows I don't tolerate mediocrity. There's no need for that. If you want, you got to go for it and be great. You want to be king, you got to go for it and be great. You're not, yep. We're not sitting here to be some average team. And another thing he says is great. I'm sure, I think some reporters asked him about, like, hey, how do you think you compete with the Yankees? And it's something I always say to Mets fans. We're not here to compete with the Yankees. The Yankees have done what they've done. Respect to them. They've had their legacy. But we got to do what we got to do. Sorry, I hit my mic. We gotta, we gotta get a little excited here. We gotta create our own legacy, and this is what this is guy is trying to do. Now, came in, got rid of the front office, brought back Sandy Alderson, the man who led us in the front office to our last World Series appearance. No problem with that. You want to change the culture? You got to change it and clean it out from within. You got to bring in a, a new, whole new culture. The biggest thing about me is, look, money doesn't buy championships, and he said that as well too. You have to build a team. But the fact that the Mets will actually spend money for the team, that they can actually compete and go out and get free agents to bolster the roster, which has some decent young offensive players, which has some talent there. They need some help on the pitching side. There's some yeah. other things they need to show up, but they can now, now you feel for once, we could go out and get a Francisco Lindor. Maybe we go get a Trevor Bauer. You already said, see, uh, Marcus Stroman has already accepted the $18.9 million qualifying offer. He knew he probably was going to get better than that this year, but he's a good pitcher. Add that to a DeGrom 
and a returning Syndergaard, maybe if you add another pitcher, now you got something. The, the, the Mets, the way they talked about it, the confidence that they're no longer going to be a laughing stock really encouraged me. I'm not jumping the gun too much, but what I say is I like that at least the talk and mindset is different. They're talking like they want to win. They're not talking like they want to be frugal and keep the money in their pocket because they can't spend it because they got screwed over by Madoff. We don't got to worry about that no more. Mets fans, you don't got to worry about that no more. Like I talked to my cousin today and she's like, yeah, I'm going to be cautious because, you know, we, we always seem to get screwed. And I'm like, yo, it's a new day. You <laughs> Like, you don't got to think like that no more. You don't have to live this way. You, I get it. We all got this PTSD. We're traumatized by the Wilpons. They screwed yeah. us over. We've seen collapses. We've seen best record in National League and then not make it to the World Series, even after Andy Chavez made a catch that you swore was going to take you to the World Series. You ain't got to worry about that no more. Because even if it messes up, you know what? Steve Cohen's going to dig in his pockets and he's going to be like, I'm going to try to fix it. And that's all you can ask for as a fan. That's all you can ask for as a fan is that your ownership is going to give you a chance to win and make the organization as successful as possible. And Mets fans, you haven't felt that in a while. I'm not saying I know it's going to work out. I'm just saying be excited that it's different. Yeah, and the important thing with that is you're now going to attract other players in a key free agency period other players are going to want to play where the CEO of the organization is going for it. Marcus Stroman, he tweeted out right after. He said, after watching the presser, I'm beyond excited to play for you, sir. I could feel the excitement and passion you're going to bring daily. Let's go be great, exclamation point, at Steve A. Cohen, too. That is very important and eye-opening because it's like, one, the Mets, that shit does not happen to them, straight up. Like that, like players don't be tweeting about like about things like that where they're praising Mets ownership, Mets, you know, the people on the people uh putting their money up, so to speak, right? When Marcus Stroman says that, accepts the qualifying offer, eighteen point nine million. It also tells me that maybe he gets a long term deal out of this. Maybe he gets a four year, seventy, eighty million dollar deal that he probably deserves because he is a damn good pitcher. And I would love that. And you know, the Mets should probably do that because Noah Syndergaard, we don't know what's going to happen with him coming off the injury and he won't play until like June or July anyway. Uh, and then COVID. Like, we'll see what happens, uh, how the season even looks. But that's important. And then it's like, look, I don't fault Steve Ballmer for the Clippers collapsing this past year. He put them in a great position to win, gave them arguably on paper the best team in the league in terms of talent. They should have worked it out in terms of chemistry, whether it was Paul George, whether it was Doc Rivers, whether it was Kawhi Leonard at the end or uh, a machination of all of the above, whatever the case may be. Steve Ballmer put his money where his mouth was, and he really drove that thing and tried to make it happen. It just, it just not didn't work, hasn't worked yet, because we don't know. It's, it's entirely possible that he still walks away from with the championship. And he's been the CEO there for what has been a great stretch of Clippers basketball. Right, because they're the Clippers. <laughs> inconceivable at one point in time. You know what I mean? And then it's funny because like Clippers, Lakers, Mets, Yankees, and then Nets, Knicks. Mikhail Prokhorov came in, bought the Nets. Look, it didn't work out, but it helped made them relevant and it gave them a good jumping off point when they got here to Brooklyn initially before turning the franchise over to who they have now. He put like, look, Joe Johnson was there. They had one of the best starting fives in the league on paper. At one point they had Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Brooke Lopez. That should have done better than it did, even though Paul George and Kevin Garnett were older at the time. 
Darren Williams vastly underperformed and kept getting hurt. Joe Johnson was aging. Guys were aging. And Brooke Lopez was just kind of caught up in that. But Mikhail Prokhorov made the effort and tried to get it done. You know what I mean? And then you have your examples of owners who have actually gotten it done. So we'll see. Hopefully uh, Steve Cohen is on the other side of that and is able to bring this team a championship. But I I do like that he's a fan of the team because he cares. And if he's a fan of a team and doesn't meddle and stays out of the way and really puts his money where his mouth is, that's all you could really want at the end of the day. Me as a Met fan, Dexter as a Met fan, we want Francisco Lindor. We can get rid of Ahmed Rosario and whatever else. Commit to Andres Jimenez. We need to play Jeff McNeil every day. Dom Smith is an everyday outfielder. I don't want to hear shit. Michael Conforto is an everyday outfielder. Their lineup is pretty good once you rattle off the names. And, you know, if they sign JT Romuto, look, you get a, you get the pitching staff in order, and this team could compete. For, I, for And not even just in the short term, but compete for multiple years. Yeah, I'd be happy if all those things happened in the offseason. Look, I'd just like to know that we can be in a conversation. Players can take it seriously. Players have the energy that Marcus Stroman has. I think that's beautiful. We'll see how we'll see how those things go. You know, for now, let's go Mets. <laughs> that's that's yeah. all I can say about that. Before we wrap up this episode, uh, I wanted to say, you know, we lost an iconic show host uh, earlier this week. Uh, the great Alex Trebek passed away at the age of eighty after his battle with pancreatic cancer. And I know everybody out there is not a big Jeopardy fan. Uh, I was a big Jeopardy fan. Watched a lot of Jeopardy growing up. Alex Trebek was always the host, which is crazy when you think about how long I've been watching him since I was six, seven years old. Watched a lot with two people who are no longer with me as well, my grandmother, my, my mom. So I was always watching Jeopardy. Watched with my daughter um, now. So, you know, she won't have Alex Trebek. But, you know, I wanted to say something about it because he pretty much has, this, you know, the same energy that I saw we talked about when I spoke about Chadwick Boseman. Uh, a couple of months ago, in that I'm very impressed that he did what he loved to do, which was hosting this game show um, up until his death. Um, he obviously recorded a bunch of more uh, episodes through the pandemic, and I believe the last episode with him on it will air on the 25th, uh, Christmas Day of December. That'll be the last episode we'll see with Alex Trebek. Um, just, just tremendous that he did what he loved until that time, and I, I you know, salute to him. Uh, the show will be weird to watch without him. It's an iconic game show. Um, and he was so great at hosting it and so many great moments. But, you know, yeah, man, just just salute. Rest in peace to, to Alex Trebek. Uh, he's a great one. He will be remembered. Um, and and uh, that that is that is his show. Hopefully they do something on the show to honor him. I'm sure they will um, it's, it's in some way. It'll be weird to watch the show without him. But, yo, salute, man. Just makes me always think for all of us. Uh, you know, Brian and I were fortunate to still be alive and breathing, even during this time of everything going on, to do what we love to do. So, you know, you just want to give your energy and all into it as much as you can, just the way Chadwick did, Bozeman did, just the way Alice Trebek did. I think it's a lesson we all could learn from just watching people do something great at a high level, even when the odds seem to be against them. Um, there's no reason to not stay positive. You know what I mean? So always do that. So on that note, that's it for this episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, episode 154. Uh, we'll be back next week with a lot to talk about. NBA draft coming up. We will have mm-hmm. some stuff to talk about that. That'll be very interesting. How are the Knicks going to mess up their draft again? As my man Webay said from the wire, probably will happen in some form. We just don't know. Uh, we will see how that goes. Please be, please be sure. <laughs> subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a good review. You should be leaving us a five-star review because if you're not, 
what are you doing? I don't yeah. know what that would be. Uh, leave us a good review. Uh, continue to support us in any way we can. A lot more to talk about. A lot of news coming up next week. That's it for episode 154 of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. For Brian Fonseca, I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Peace.